The Mississippi River towns are comely, clean, well-built, and pleasing to the eye, and cheering to the spirit. The Mississippi Valley is as reposeful as a dreamland, nothing worldly about it, nothing to hang a fret or a worry upon. Mark Twain The Mississippi River and the Great River Road on this episode of RV Miles. and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 8 of the RV Miles podcast. If you want to keep up with RV Miles, you can head over to rvmiles.com, or you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you'd like to keep up with Jason and I and our travels with our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, we are at OurWanderingFamily.com, and we are also on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're coming to you this week from just outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities. Yep. Making our way up north for some... (laughs) You're going to say it, aren't you? (laughs) Leaf peeping. Prime leaf peeping season. It is. We are going to go watch... The leaves change colors. What a horrible <laughs> phrase. Who came up with that? Jason has a real issue with it the sounds, word leaf peeping. <laughs> it sounds perverse. It's voyeuristic. It's not really Why how... Why can't we call it looking at the leaves? <laughs> well, that's what you and I call it. <laughs> we are just outside of the Twin Cities, as Jason said. We've been making our way for the last week along... The Great River Road, which is actually going to be the main subject of today's podcast. But before we get to that, we want to touch on just a little bit of news. As we speak today, we're recording on Wednesday, right? It's yes, Wednesday. today is Wednesday. <laughs> the The Hershey RV Show, America's largest RV show. It's underway. It has just begun. It's they, crazy it's, in Hershey right now. They're just rocking and partying and checking out RVs. <laughs> it's called America's Largest RV Show. That's its title. But it's not actually America's Largest RV Show. But it's pretty large. It's pretty I mean, large. it's 33 football fields of RVs. And according to their website, they're going to see about 45,000 people this year coming through. Plus, it's like the best time to buy an RV because they've got these amazing deals. Yeah, this is the Hershey RV show. If you're not familiar, it's it's the big one of the season. It's kind of like the Detroit Auto Show. It's the RV industry's version of that. A lot of the manufacturers are showing their their new models. Rolling out their new stuff for 2018. (laughs) A lot of the gear manufacturers are showing their new wares. So we'll see a lot of new stuff coming this fall, and we'll see what a lot of the new trends are going to be. I think you're going to see a lot of different colors and paint jobs on the outside and insides of RVs that you haven't seen in years. Yeah, I'm excited to see what some of the manufacturers are going to come up with the next couple of years when it comes to like designs for RVs. I think that the days of the American landscape on the side of the RV... Or on the front of your fifth or, or wheel. The giant swooshes. <laughs> what was the name of the RV that we passed earlier today that you just were like, you can't call an RV that? It was like the ultimate. Oh, it was the. <laughs> it was something so like ultimate superior. That's or... what it was. It was oh. the ultimate superior. <laughs> it was. Or something really close yeah. to that. Like you can't be both of those things. You can't be ultimate and the superior all oh, at once. Geez. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> that's... so that's happening throughout through through the weekend. Yeah, and then next week is the big Elkhart open house. Yes, which is sort of an informal thing that's sort of grown over the years. But most of the RV manufacturers, if you don't know, are in Elkhart, Indiana, and they have this open house where essentially on the streets of Elkhart, 
you can shop for brand new RVs. Yeah, so if you're really into these RV shows and kind of checking out what's going on, you've got two opportunities right now. You've got one going on in Hershey, Pennsylvania that's happening starting today, the 13th, and going until the 17th. And then you could hop in your brand new RV and drive on down to Elkhart, Indiana and check out their RV open house, which is going on the 18th through the 22nd. RV shows are a great place to buy an RV. The dual- That's where we were inspired mm-hmm. to do what we're doing right now. We're sitting here, and tonight we're coming to you from... <laughs> from the RV we built ourselves. From the RV we built ourselves, and we were inspired to do that because we went to an RV <laughs> show, and not because we didn't want to buy one of those RVs, but it sort of was like the... the it was the law- yeah, yeah, it was. But you can see all the different types of RVs and sort of get get a feel for what you want at an RV show. But also the dealer pricing is really good at RV shows. Yes. And you can negotiate that a lot further because none of them want to drive those RVs back. <laughs> Nobody wants to drive that back from <laughs> I mean, imagine they 33 football fields worth of RVs. They got to get them there. Yeah. And a lot of them come from local dealerships in the area, but a lot of them don't. So. Well, and if you can't make it to Hershey right now, I do think you were saying that some, like Camping World, are taking those Hershey yeah. special deals that would be happening there, and they're actually offering them online. So it might be worth it to jump online, too, and check out and see if anyone else is participating. Yeah, this is kind of a first. Camping World started it, and some of the other... Nationwide dealerships have jumped on. They're working with the manufacturers to offer the RV show pricing nationwide during while the RV shows are, are yeah. running. So Yeah, because so not everybody yeah. can get to Hershey, yeah. Pennsylvania. So, yeah. you know, like us, because we're here leaf peeping <laughs> in the Twin Cities. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a little bit of what's going on there in the news. So like we said, we're going to talk about the Great River Road today. The road that travels all the way from the headwaters of the Mississippi River in Lake Itasca, Minnesota, all the way down to New Orleans. <laughs> we we love what we know of the Mississippi and the Great River Road so much that we've decided to dedicate the second two segments of the show entirely. Yeah, about it. because oddly enough, like when we were kind of talking about and laying out future podcasts, we kind of realized oddly enough that over the course of our travels in the last three years or so that we've actually encountered a lot of this great river road and we didn't even really Mm -hmm. realize it. And so amazingly enough, we have quite a bit of like information that we can talk about like firsthand. Yeah. This, this last week was our first sort of long journey along it. We traveled pretty much all of the Northern half of it, but, uh, but we've the, the Southern half we have, crisscrossed so many times and visited so many of the stops along the way. So we're really excited to get into that. But before we do, before we do, we wanted to touch on another subject, which is towing. We want to talk about towing a vehicle behind a motorhome for a little bit. Yes, we do. Which is something that we do. If you are a (laughs) owner of a, of a fifth wheel or a travel trailer, this might not apply to you so much. Uh, this might be the time that you pull out your smartphone and check out maybe what the new pricing for the Hershey RV show is. <laughs> but a lot of people, when they buy their first motorhome, they plan on just driving the motorhome across the country to destinations. I think it's it's a fairly common thing that RVers say is that a lot of first-time motorhome owners don't pull a car behind them. And within a year... Most of them end up figuring out how to make Pulling that Pulling a car happen. behind them. Because yep. it's really difficult to get to your destination than having to pack up the motorhome to drive to the grocery store or having to just plan ahead that well or to take cabs. A lot of people do that. And that's an option to cabs and Uber. Right. And we thought for one hot second that maybe we would not pull our town and country behind mm-hmm. the bus. And use and, bicycles right. and things. And that literally lasted for one <laughs> hot second. And, and then I was kind of like, well, what are we going to do? Drive the bus to the grocery store? What are we going to do? Drive the bus like to the museum that we want to take the kids to? What am I going to do? Drive the bus to the laundromat? Especially no. for us as a family of five that are full-time, it's it would be yeah, it's just impossible a for us. So we pull. But, but a lot of people have their motorhome so that they can go to 
a state park for a weekend or a week and they that's their yeah, home base and they perfect. spend their time there. We have friends that great. do that. You know, whatever floats your boat. But if you're interested in towing a vehicle behind you, we wanted to just overview some of the options. So the first thing to know is that there are three different ways to tow a vehicle behind you. One is to put the entire thing on a trailer, which you certainly can do, but it's a difficult problem when you get to the campground and you need to figure out a place to put that trailer. A lot of times there's auxiliary parking where you can you could put that trailer and and leave leave it. You can put a lock on it. Um, but if you're at a busy if you're b- state busy park, national park, or campground, that could be a difficult option a, for you. That could be a problem, and and it's a pain in the butt to take it off by this auxiliary parking and to then have to go rehook it back up every time you move. It, it can be a, a challenge. Well, we're the second option, and it's a pain in the butt. Right. So th- the second option is to tow on a dolly, and that is a two-wheel device where you put the front end up of your car up on the dolly and pull it behind you that way you strap it into the dolly and so the back two wheels of your car ride on the ground and the front two wheels ride up on the dolly and that's what we do and that's what we do the other option is to tow four down as they say with all four tires on the ground it's also called dinghy towing i've never heard anybody actually call it that in person but the towing guides online that are going to be important to you if you want to do this are called dinghy towing guides and that's d-i-n-g-h-y think of it like a dinghy boat you know the little boats that get i will never say that i will never say that (laughs) towing four down (laughs) but the challenge with both dolly towing and more so with towing four down is that you are limited in the vehicles that you can do that with. So the nice thing about towing on a trailer is you can tow any vehicle on a trailer, right? So if you have a classic car that you want to pull or some people even have enclosed trailers that they put like a smart car in or something like that. I saw, I, I don't think I pointed this out to you, but we drove past a somebody that was towing a Model T on a really? on a trailer behind Aww. their motorhome a few days ago. That would have been cool really to neat. see. Yeah, that would have been really cool yeah. to see. Thanks for not showing that I to know. me. It's <laughs> nice. So, by far the easiest way to tow is to tow four down. Okay. Because you can hook up pretty quickly and easily, and unhook and unhook pretty quickly as well. But it's also the most limited in the number of vehicles you can choose. And the reason for that is the transmission and the cooling of the transmission specifically. When your car is running, it usually has a transmission coolant pump that is cooling the transmission down. And if your car isn't running, then obviously it's not cooling. Some cars don't need that. Some do. Some cars that you can tow four down you have to stop every 200 miles or so and start it up for five minutes to get that oil moving around but there's a very short list of cars that you could tow four down it's not that short i mean there's a decent number of vehicles to choose from so i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) she really wants a wrangler yes (laughs) and it's a very common option for rvers yes so what you want to do is check out motorhome magazine's dinghy towing guide and they have them, they're, they're by year. They have them dating back to the year 2000. And you can check to see if your vehicle is on that list. If your vehicle is under warranty, you definitely want to make sure it's on that list. Because if you tow it, if, if you tow a vehicle four down and the manufacturer does not approve of that, you can void your warranty. Not good. Right. Not good. Um, most of the vehicles that can be towed four down are going to be manual transmissions just an fyi Mm -hmm. if you have an aversion towards them not all so the next option being what we do being the tow dolly you have a lot more choices in vehicles Um, most front wheel drive vehicles can be towed on a tow dolly long distances not all but most so you want to check with the manufacturer check with them the manual in your vehicle is normally going to tell you if you can do it or not. Okay. The difference in cost between towing four down and towing on a dolly 
it's it's negligible because you have to do some work to the car to be able to tow it four down. You have to put a tow plate on it that is going to connect with some bars to your hitch. Uh, and then you have to set up the lighting configuration, which you'd have to do on either, right, right. In either scenario. With the dolly, the dolly obviously costs a decent amount. Um, and the dolly usually has electric brakes built into it. Whereas with towing four down, you have to get supplemental braking. If you're in most states, if you're towing more than three thousand pounds, you have to have supplemental braking for your for your towed or right. your trailer. Um, and then obviously you can, if you're towing a trailer, you could put any vehicle on a on a flatbed trailer and have no issue. Yeah, like the Model so, T that you saw exactly that you didn't tell me about. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> now, all of this also has to factor into weight limits as to, like, checking to see what you can pull, right? Yeah, so you need to know what your motorhome can pull. So that's going to be in the manual of your motorhome. And you also need to know the capacity of your hitch, especially if it's an aftermarket hitch. Hitches are rated. They're either going to be class 3, 4, or 5, usually. And the hitch, the ball mount... And the ball all need to match that class rating so that you know you can tow whatever weight limits within that class are. Okay. And I felt like, and remind me, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of felt like when we were looking for our hitch, that that was a little bit of a difficult process to find the exact one that yeah. we needed for what we were pulling and what was pulling... Oh, it, yeah. Well, we, we're towing our town and country. It's heavy. Yes. I wanted a class five hitch. We're installing our own hitch. So in doing that, I got to choose. I wanted a class five hitch because it can pull the most. And, and you know, I wanted to make sure we had a ball and a ball mount. Right. To match. Oh, and the pin as well. The pin that holds the ball mount in needs to match. You know, it's always the weakest link is the most important thing. So you need to make sure everything can tell you know what what yeah you're, i felt like it telling. was a bit of a puzzle piece and it just took us a little bit longer in several different stores yeah to find what we needed exactly for our configuration so hopefully that's a decent overview of the different options for towing a vehicle behind you if you have more questions i'm working on an article to sort of flesh some of these options out that we'll have up on RV Miles soon. Yeah, and we'll link to yeah. a lot of this stuff. We'll link stuff to the, in the dinghy show towing notes guide. Um, and uh, and and again, you know, if if you already have the vehicle that you're hoping to tow, the first thing to do is to check to see if that vehicle can be towed. And you, it's different year by year, so you you might have a vehicle. Yeah, don't assume that Sally Ann CRV is going to tow hers toes but yours probably may or may not if you right have a CRV. yeah especially later models they, they tend to stop being towable at some point so you you want to check to make sure that your model gear your engine and transmission combination can be towed four down or two down however you do it there you go and on that note <laughs> we are going to take a little break and we're going to be right back to talk about the great river road oh yeah. And answers to last week's brain teaser. Yay. Yay. We'll be right back. Are you looking to rent an RV? Or perhaps you'd like to rent out your own and make a little money? Whatever your needs, RV Share has you covered. As the fastest growing peer-to-peer -peer online RV rental platform, RV Share is similar to Airbnb's concept of travel, but for RVs. Every rental booked through their secure payment system is backed by a $10,000 guarantee and includes 24-hour travel concierge and roadside assistance. With options across the country, there's an RV rental or renter out there for you. For more information, visit rvmiles.com slash rvshare and get started today. Abby, are you ready for last week's brain teaser? Oh, yes. You totally forgot we were doing that. I did. You? you saw that look of surprise on I my did. face. I was all geared up ready to start talking about the Mississippi. Not so fast there, tiger. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Yes. You're out camping in the wilderness. You're awakened by a rustling noise. You go outside and see a bear outside your tent. 
you run one mile south, one mile west, and one mile north to return to your camp, which has been destroyed. What color is the bear? Black. The bear is white because the only place that you can run one mile south, one mile west, and one mile north and return to the same location is the North Pole. It's a polar bear. Oh. Cute. <laughs> we'll have this week's brain teaser <laughs> at the end of the show. Stay tuned. <laughs> so now we can switch our minds back to where my mind already was, and that is on the Great River Road. That's right. The Mississippi, the mighty, mighty Mississippi. Full disclosure, I grew up on the Mississippi. Yes, you did. I grew up water skiing and boating on the Mississippi in an area called the Quad Cities, which is in northwestern Illinois. It's Davenport, Iowa, and some other towns we'll talk about later. <laughs> Abby and I were also married in the Quad Cities. We were. We were married near the Mississippi. So the Mississippi is near and dear to my heart. It is. And what's been really interesting this last week as we've been on this Great River Road journey, like officially on it, is it's become really evident just how much you love this river. You're just constantly like, <laughs> everybody look out the window. Everybody look, we're about to go over the Mississippi. And the kids are like, great. You know, because they've seen it like a thousand times as we go over yet another bridge. But it is so exciting to you to just be around this river. It's just so energizing. What I love about the Mississippi is sort of this confluence of nature and man and industry. Yeah. So I mean, if you're a complete naturalist, you might take issue driving the Great River Road. And, you know, it's full of locks and dams that have altered the course of the river and the shape of the river. It's full of industry up and down its length, but it's also full of stunning natural beauty. Yes, it is. Um, most of the natural beauty, I think, is sort of the northern half from maybe mid-Illinois up. When you really, really see sort of the width and expanse of the river where it's a mile wide in locations and these just towering bluffs overlooking the river. I would completely agree with you on that because it really wasn't until this week's trip that I was almost just speechless at the sight of the Mississippi because this is the first time I have experienced it north. All yeah. of my other encounters with it have been in New Orleans, St. Louis, the Quad Cities, and it just doesn't have the same kind of impact as when you can stand and look at how wide and look down upon it and just see it stretch for miles and miles and the width of it and the length of it. It's phenomenal. Not that there isn't tons of beauty on the southern half, but I think the southern half is more about the destinations along the route. Yes. And the northern half is more about the the sort of quaint little towns and and the yes. beautiful, beautiful scenery. I would agree with that. I feel like the commerce industry side of the Mississippi is a little bit more obvious or in your face when you are in some of the southern half of yeah. the Great River Road, whereas up here it's really like you feel like you're looking at the same thing man looked at a thousand years ago. It's incredible. So the road itself, it's 3,000 miles. It's a long road. It's And you might be thinking, oh, the country is only about 1,500 miles tall, especially where the Mississippi is. But the river road travels, for the most part, on both sides of the Mississippi. So it starts in Lake Itasca in central Minnesota, where the headwaters are. And once it hits the border of Wisconsin and Minnesota, then the Mississippi becomes the border between the, the, ten, the 10 states on the way down. And at that point... It travels both sides of the river all the way down to New Orleans. So you could be really ambitious and you could travel down one way, get to New Orleans, hang out there, have some beignets, turn around and <laughs> travel, travel all the way, all back, the way up. back up into Minnesota. 
That's right. Now, I think when people think about these great road trips like Route 66 and the Oregon Trail, they think, oh, I'd like to do that one day. And they plan on, you know, accomplishing the whole thing. You don't think you have to do that. Don't wait. Don't wait. Go go explore a state or two. You know, you Absolutely. don't have to. It's not about finishing the entire task. And if you do that, and if you finish the entire task, that is amazing and in itself. That's great if you have that time and desire and, and want to do that. But for us, we have actually been experiencing this journey for three years on and off yeah. in all these different locations that we have ended up not really realizing, wow, we have seen a lot of this road. Yeah, we've probably fully traveled the northern half yes. of, of the Great River Road, except for past Minneapolis. Yes. Um, but I think that that's just kind of the point to be made there is that you can go out and enjoy yeah. this and not feel overwhelmed by it and think you have to do 1,500 or 3,000 right. or 1,000. You could go do a couple two, 300 miles of the road. Which is what, uh, on the southern half, we've seen lots of different areas and traveled bits of it and not the whole thing. And yeah. that's okay. And what's really great about that, too, if you want to break it into these smaller chunks, is that you're going to have so many campground options. We have been blown away by how many campgrounds are along this journey up here. Now, we have been staying mostly at Army Corps of Engineer campgrounds because so many of them are along the Mississippi. The, Ar the Corps of Engineers manages the locks and dams. Yep. So there are lots of sites uh, along the river. Uh, but and then that, there's state parks everywhere. Everywhere. Private campgrounds. You know, we've checked out our Passport America app several times and have been pleasantly surprised by how many campgrounds were around in this area. You know, for us, you guys probably know by now, we're kind of like Army Corps of Engineer, National Park Campground kind of people. So this has been really great for us to have that option. But whatever kind of campground person you are, whatever your preference is, you're going to be pleasantly surprised by how many options you have and how close they are to one another. So you can slow travel this and enjoy just little tiny sections. And there's so many wonderful things to see and do along the way too. An another reason it's great for RVers is that most of the route is very, very flat, even though the banks of the Mississippi are often covered with massive bluffs. Yep. The road itself follows right tight against the river often and avoids climbing up and down those bluffs. So you get this great view. You might be traveling north. You get on your right side these massive bluffs. On your left side, a mile-wide river with islands in the middle of it. And, and trees. Trees everywhere. And as Jason has pointed out, it's almost time to do some peeping of the leaves and to have that road and just have that spectacular view this time of year is just going to be breathtaking. And we have commented, I don't know how many times about how well maintained the roads are. And there's lots of different roads that are connected to make up this great sometimes river Sometimes you'll be on an interstate. Sometimes you'll be on just a small two lane road. Sometimes it's a divided highway. It changes. Oh, you should also know that the road travels right through the middle of many, many small towns. Yes. And speed traps galore <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know you're you're often going 65 miles an hour and then it immediately drops down to 25 15 on a school day 15 that was a really <laughs> interesting one 15 but so the roads are really for the most part in great condition and it is really nice that you are not going up and down up and down through the bluffs but you are just kind of riding flat along the other side. And if you're pulling an automobile like we are, that is really appreciated. It is. It's great for the gas mileage, but it's just also really great to not be that guy who's doing like 25 trying to get up to the top of the hill so that you can go back down it. So the Great River Road takes a little bit of planning to do. It does. We, we've been commenting that it's really one of those trips that a paper map really makes a lot of sense. And that's been kind of fun yeah. to get out our 
booklet or and flip to the state and figure out where we are. And it's just been kind of refreshing because that's not generally how we travel where, you know, we are usually reliant on our GPS. And so this has been a nice, interesting little trip. Yeah, it's hard for a GPS to to tell the GPS, hey, I only want to take this one road. It wants to take you the fastest route and the fastest route is rarely going to be the Great River Road. Yeah, you and the GPS have been arguing with each other all week long. <laughs> she Siri's mad at you. She is. <laughs> but one of the main reasons you have to plan well is that you want to make sure that you're on the right side of the river at the destination, you know, when you're coming up on a destination that you want to be on. Because it could be 100 miles between bridges. Yeah. And you also want to make sure you're on the most scenic side of the river at that point. So sometimes the road veers away from the river for a while. There were some sections in Iowa where we got off into some some farmland, which is pretty and yeah. interesting for a little bit, but then it gets quite boring after a while. Yes, it did. And so that was kind of like a little bit of a learning curve. This is, again, where kind of like the map has come in really handy as we've been able to sit down and, and take a look and see and use our finger yep. to trail along the map. A couple other great resources that we've used are the Road Trip USA book. Yeah, that is a really cool book that you, if you do not own, is really worth the investment just because it has so many different really interesting and popular, like, epic road trips. Yeah, but a bunch of different coast-to-coast -coast ones and up-and-down ones. Yeah, I think, like, this Route 66 one, is 66, in there, Great River Road is in Oregon there. Trail. Yeah, and we've mentioned those, but it's a really handy book. It's by... Jamie Jensen. It's called Road Trip USA. We'll link to it in the show notes. We've also been using, while we've been on this trip, the um, National Geographic Scenic Highways and Byways. We're on the third edition. It's quite possible by this point National Geographic is on their 12th edition because we've only, we've <laughs> had this book a couple years. Um, but that's also been a really nice book to reference along our trip as well. And then the final sort of reference we've been using is the app. Yeah, and I've only discovered the app a couple days ago. I wish I had discovered it sooner, but it's the Drive the Great River Road app. And it's sort of the official app of the River Road. It's put out by the same people who put out the map. The map you can pick up at almost any state park or visitor center anywhere near the Mississippi is going to have it. So you kind of have these little bits of tools that you can use to help plan your trip. But again, we just highly encourage checking this out in a big section or a little section. And it's been awesome. And so we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of our personal journey on this road and... And some of the great destinations. Some of the great destinations you can hit encounter up. Encounter on the way. Yeah. We'll be right back. In this segment, we wanted to take some time and explore some of the destinations you might visit on the Great River Road, particularly the ones that we've been to and that we know a bit about. I, I think we should start at the bottom of the river and work yes, our way up. let's make our way up north. I'll mention a few stops along the way that we haven't been to, just so you have a frame of reference. But the, the Great River Road actually being south of New Orleans, maybe a hundred miles or so, off the coast into island territory. So cool. So you won't really be starting you won't, there. Unless in your you're RV. one of those few people that live <laughs> down there, you're probably not starting from there. Right. So New Orleans, we talked quite a bit about on last week's episode. If you haven't listened to it, check out episode seven. You'll get a great overview, I think, of the New practicalities Orleans. of New Orleans. Moving up the river, there's Baton Rouge. Uh, you'll move into, you know, Mississippi, Louisiana border, up into Arkansas, and get up to Memphis, which we haven't visited. We haven't, yet. and that needs to be on our no. short list. We did visit a few places along the river in Arkansas. Lake, Sh I, I'm I'm gonna follow this name up. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna butcher it Lake so bad. Lake Chicot, C H I C O T. And I thought it was Chicot or Chicot. 
I don't know. Sometimes I fancify names. Yes, you do. <laughs> so it's State Park in Arkansas. Arkansas is great state parks, by the way. Uh, yes. And it, it's the country's largest crescent lake. It used to be the main channel of the Mississippi thousands of years ago. Um, but it's a big crescent moon shaped lake. It's pretty cool. And then, of course, north of that is, is Memphis. And you start getting into the Tennessee-Arkansas border up into Kentucky. There's Paducah, Kentucky. And then you hit Illinois and Missouri, where where sort of starts where we've spent a lot of time. Yes. So the first stop is St. Louis, which is a town that I grew up going to every summer we'd spend a weekend in St. Louis. Yeah, when we decided that we wanted to really get back into camping with our kids and get back into that kind of travel, St. Louis was one of the first places you wanted to go to with your family mm -hmm. because it was somewhere you had grown up going to. It's a great town for families. There's a lot of free fun stuff to do. Yeah, we spent a really lovely week there. We camped at a KOA, which wasn't too far outside of St. Louis, and we had a really lovely time there. And it was a really nice experience to be able to see sort of the Mississippi interacting with a major city and then also at the same time be able to hit up a national park site because you have the arch there and the museum of westward expansion yeah the museum is below the arch yep underground and you can go up into the arch of course it's a really well done museum if you yes. haven't been to st louis in a, in a while there used to be a, a, a highway that went between the arch and the riverfront and they have now covered over that that's all underground and it's all lawn down into the riverfront, which is really cool. Yeah, this was a really great experience. And maybe in a future podcast, we'll talk a little bit about St. Louis. But it's definitely not a pass-by-state or pass-by-city. Yeah. Missouri sometimes, I think, becomes the pass-through state. <laughs> but as we've talked about in a previous podcast about Kansas City and this little bit here about St. Louis, it's definitely worth giving some time to. So... We move north from St. Louis. So slightly up the road from St. Louis is Hannibal, Missouri, which is home to Mark Twain, of course, yes. and where all of Mark Twain's stories are set. And it's a really quaint little river town. The town itself is actually right at the riverfront, and there are lots of small little antique shops. Yeah, we had a really lovely little yeah. lunch. I wish I remembered the name of the cafe, but we were traveling and we stopped for a while in Hannibal and had a really lovely lunch at this little cafe right along the riverside. If you are a lover of Mark Twain and his books and his stories, this is an, a must stop for you. And I would love to go back there and spend a few days. I think that would be... Maybe we can do that. It would be fun to do. We do travel in a bus, so, you know, we can go wherever <laughs> we want. We, we can. <laughs> On your way up the river, there are several industrial towns through Illinois and Missouri and Iowa. Once you get to the Iowa border, you're going to run across Quincy and Burlington and Muscatine, and you'll end up past Muscatine in an area called the Quad Cities, which I alluded to before. The Quad Cities is Davenport, Iowa, Bettendorf, Iowa, Moline, and Rock Island in Illinois, and sometimes East Moline. Did you count that, everyone? That's five. There are five quad cities. There's five in the quad cities. Yeah, get over it. <laughs> We've been having this discussion <laughs> for 10 years now. <laughs> we wrote a, a pretty in-depth sort of top family things to do in the quad cities article uh, a while back for on, our, on the Our Wandering Family website, which I'll link to in the show notes. But I think the the sort of top thing for somebody traveling the Great River Road in the Quad Cities is the Rock Island Arsenal. Yeah. Which is an, an active military base that is open to the public, but it's it's historic. It's it was a Civil War prison and you can see all these Civil War era prison buildings that are now offices and and barracks. And there is the Colonel Davenport House, which is a historic house 
I believe he died there. I think and there was, that is there's correct. A, the blood stain is still on the floor. Oh, no, I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure the blood stain is still on the floor. <laughs> That's Quad City folklore. A, I don't know. There's a great little museum <laughs> there. And there are a whole lot of other fantastic things to do in the Quad Cities that you should check out. I think it's a great place to spend a couple days. Yes. Get yourself some Happy Joe's pizza. Go to the Arsenal. You're good to go. At this point, I think it is important to mention that according to the Road Trip USA book, you are never more than 100 miles from a slot machine anywhere on the Great River Yeah, you can go to Joomers while you're in the Quad Cities. There are casinos everywhere. (laughs) If you are are. a gambler... The Quad (laughs) Cities used to be what was called the riverboat gambling capital of the United States, or of the world, I'm not sure. Of the world. Because... There was a time when they didn't have gambling licenses for land gambling in Illinois and Iowa. You had to be on a... The only place it was legal was on a riverboat. So we had all these riverboats and you could go... They would go out and cruise and you would gamble on them. And then came dockside gambling. And then people realized, oh, that's the same thing as just having a casino on land. And now they're... The riverboats are mostly gone, and now they're just land casinos. You quad cityers and you're gambling. Yeah. You know. So we move on from the quad cities. We continue to travel north. So on your way north up the river, you'll start to hit areas which become a lot more scenic. The bluffs start to appear, which it's it's this weird thing that we learned about. The glaciers never really hit this area. And the, these bluffs remained intact while the, the river sort of carved through them. And they sort of, they really start to appear near Savannah, Illinois. Yeah. On your way up the river. Near Savannah is Makokata, Iowa. The Makokata Caves State Park is a place where I also grew up going to. And some really great caving if you're interested in doing that. And then at the Illinois-Wisconsin-Iowa you know, sort of tri-border there, the corner, is Dubuque, Iowa. Party Central. We we had a great time in Dubuque. We did have a great time in Dubuque. I remember every time I hear Dubuque, I sing through the music man in my <laughs> head. I sing through Iowa Stubborn. But I was surprised by how enjoyable Dubuque was. It's... And it didn't feel like a pass-through city to me. We could have stayed and spent several more days, and I think that we would have not touched on probably half of what Dubuque has it's to offer. It's a quintessential river town, especially yep. especially as we're, we're heading north, we're, we're coming into brewery country. Brewery country, so, my kind of country. <laughs> so there's beer to be had. Yes. Uh, and in Dubuque, we really loved the National Mississippi River Museum, museum and, and aquarium. aquarium. I want to get the name right. National yes. Mississippi River Museum and Aquarium, which is an expansive complex. It's huge. You first when when we first arrived, we went in and started visiting. We thought, boy, this place is kind of small. I looked at you and I thought, and I said, if this is all it has to offer, I want my money back, because it was great what was in the building like everything yeah. in, in there was incredibly informative but i thought there's no way that this is 35 dollars worth of museum entertainment well the lovely lady at the front des- desk didn't mention to us that after you explore that building you have to go back out the front doors and there's this massive outdoor area and then there are other buildings. Yeah, there's two other giant buildings to explore. And two boats to explore. Yes. There are two... What 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 is the name? Steamboats. Yeah, there are two steamboats. One boats. was like the Longdens, um, which was a family. It was it, their family-owned boat that had like three generations had been used to um, transport, I believe it was like sand or gravel down the Mississippi to different construction sites. And then the and there's this other one. That's that the we, smaller. And yes. then the bigger is the, the William Black, I think it's and called. And we just missed being able to tour that by five minutes. And it the museum closes at five. It closed at four. Yes. Uh, but it was clearly massive and we would have loved to walk around it. But yes. we didn't get to. And I was really hoping you know. I could sweet talk that lady into letting us on at like 4.08. 
and she just was like not having any she, of it. You, she wasn't you could see it. it was on the tip of her tongue, and she's yeah. like, no. She's like, I can't. I just can't. There's another large building that you can explore with lots more tanks of fish and other exhibits. Yeah, it really talks a lot about like the aquatic life inside that particular building. And then there's a freight house building that has a it has a small boats workshop in it where there is a volunteer that explains how canoes and other small craft are built that they built a lot lots of samples right there in that shop. It was very cool because he invited the boys to come and sit in a canoe that he himself had worked with someone else and had hauled out of... It was uh, a dugout It canoe. was dugout. Yeah. And he invited the boys to come and sit in it and gave them paddles, and they got to play around in it for a little yeah. bit. And that was such a great opportunity for them, because I think any time that our kids can have a really hands-on, like, immersive experience in a museum, they sort of absorb the information so much more. And I think this museum was kind of a turning point for me with the Mississippi River, where I had appreciated it for all of my life, and I've always known that it was there, but I never really, I think, fully understood the power of this river and the power that this river has had over shaping our nation. And this museum really offered an opportunity to understand that in a really accessible kind of way through videos and displays and interactive educational materials. And once we realized that it wasn't just kind of that smaller section, but you had these other historical buildings you could go into and walk through that steamboat, that just opened up this whole Mississippi River for me. It's probably the best museum I've ever been to that is on a specific topic. Yes, that's an excellent point. I think for anyone, again, who might particularly be a, a fan of Mark Twain, they do talk quite a bit about him and they talk a lot about the steamboat and a lot of artifacts of Mark Twain. Yes. And overall you can spend an entire day at this museum. It's situation situated right on the waterfront. Great location. Beautiful location. We took a picnic lunch, enjoyed that before we went in and we cannot speak highly enough. I think about this museum mm-hmm. and it is absolutely worth your time to stop in Dubuque and take some time to check this out and to check the town out. So that's Dubuque. And we stayed at a really nice campground. We should mention that too. We stayed at um, Grant River. It was an Army Corps of Engineer Right across the river in Wisconsin. Yes. Potosi or Potosi. We're not quite sure how to pronounce it. And we apologize to the fine citizens of Potosi, Potosi, Wisconsin. (laughs) Uh, If you're interested in a quick little detour off the river road to really nearby Dubuque is Galena, Illinois, which is sort of this Victorian untouched by time mountain town. Go get your wine on that in you Galena. Get some great wine, some bed and breakfasts and yep. and and things like that. We moved on from there and we continued to travel north and we had gotten a recommendation on our Facebook page to stop at Effigy Mound National Monument. Yeah, and This is in Iowa. This is part of the National Park Service. And we spent the entire afternoon there. And this was, again, one of those experiences, much like that museum, the Museum of the Mississippi River, that we went in with expecting to learn a little bit and gained so much more. This was just one of those really, I hate to say this word, but I don't know what else to say, magical National Park experiences. Yeah, so the effigy mounds are, there used to be, from their estimates, 10,000 effigy mounds across the United States. Well, really, and, I thought it, they had just said it most was like of Illinois, them, Iowa. Yeah, most of them in that area. Yeah. And, and still many, many survive, especially in the southern half of Wisconsin and in northern Iowa. What they are is mounds that are sometimes in a shape of a dome, sometimes in a shape of a of a cylinder, but sometimes they're in shapes of animals, bears, bears, eagles. eagles. And nobody knows that they were built by native Americans. And even the native Americans don't really know why they were built. They were built by the old tribes. That history is sort of gone. Some of them are used for burials, but not all of them. Yeah. And they're clearly 
made to be viewed from above. That's so, what's so fascinating about them is that you you get a side view of them, but you kind of realize you're you do feel like you're in this very spiritual place and they do make that very clear before you head up what is a rather strenuous could be a rather strenuous yeah, if you, hike up you're into hiking the bluff. up a bluff there the, these mountains are on top of a bluff sort of overlooking the river yeah and it was a two mile hike there and back total two miles yes uh for us but you could go on a lot further and see a lot more mounds we just saw a few mounds yes we had a 10 7 and 4 year old and we opted to just do the two yeah. miles and i think that was a great introduction we took our time the kids completed a junior ranger program while we were there but but it's switchbacks it's it you're gaining a lot of elevation yes very quickly so if you know if you're but it's beautiful is what we the so we saw the mounds and they were they were interesting and exciting to sort of just feel that history there. They just have for me personally and I don't normally say a lot of stuff like this. There was just this kind of like energy yeah in that space in that area that call it spiritual, call it natural, call it whatever you want, but it really just you naturally found yourself kind of talking quieter. You naturally felt yourself almost connecting with the space and with nature. It it was very, very interesting and very weird at the same time. And I just loved our experience there. So after we saw several mounds, though, we continued on the trail to a scenic overlook yes. of the river. And let me tell you, that moment... Oh, I mean, to me, it felt like stepping out over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And we have a few pictures of this up on our the, Instagram page. They don't page. do it justice. They it don't. So, it was so hard to capture. And the pictures, if you take a look at them, what you can't see is that there's a little black speck on one of the photos we took. The one of you, I took a photo of you taking a photo. A photo. There's a little <laughs> black speck in it that looks like a piece of dust. And it's actually a boat. It's a boat. That's way down it's in the water. Boat. It is it's such a massive expanse of river yeah in in both directions and the, i mean i was in tears looking out over it i honestly yeah. was uh we should mention that lookout was called fire point yes and it was about halfway on this this two mile round trip yeah that, it's kind of like the saw. turning point because from there you start heading down back to where the visitor center is located and i always love loop trails because i hate coming back the same way i came yes. and seeing everything all over again it's nice to see <laughs> new stuff yes and it way. kind of is just an easier sort of i think point of reference where you kind of know okay we're looping and now it's time to start heading back down and when you have kids you can say okay this is the back end of the trail now we're on our way down yeah so make sure to check out the effigy mounds national monument yes it is absolutely worth the stop it's a day stop like give yourself a few hours there just so you can really appreciate both the visitor center they had a great 15 minute video that we watched i kind of wish we had actually watched it before we went on the yeah. hike so do try to watch the video beforehand and then there is if the two mile loop hike is a little strenuous and it might feel too much they do have a couple of mounds right as you come into the first of the hike and a few stopping points along the way so you don't have to feel like you must do the whole thing in order to be able to appreciate the space yeah so there so, you go moving north from dubuque we stopped briefly near lacrosse wisconsin we were actually yeah. our campground was in desoto wisconsin uh blackhawk recreation area another yes. corps of engineers campground we weren't thrilled with this campground no this is probably my least favorite campground we have been at for a while so yeah it it really didn't live up to the corps of engineers quality it was clean and decently maintained but there was there was trash strewn about it it was yeah. also it, it was almost attached to a private campground it was kind of run down. They're they're literally on top of each other. Yeah, it just had a different vibe and it wasn't for our needs and kind of like how we like to camp. It wasn't really a vibe that worked for us and for September it was also like Bugville. Yeah, and was, I couldn't it, believe how many bugs were inside Wanderbus and I that just wasn't my thing. This is a good time of the year to to visit this area because the bugs are 
lower than than normal. They, <laughs> the bugs get really bad in the summer. <laughs> I'm terrified to think what that campground is like <laughs> if this is low and bug this one season. Was pretty buggy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this was pretty buggy. But I will say about this campground and the one we were at previous, there is when you get a clear night, incredible stargazing. Yeah to be had and we were able to see the Milky Way and show that to our kids and I think for us having been urban dwellers for 16 years and very rarely getting more than just a little handful of stars when we look up at night in the city it'll never stop being incredible to me I also thought it was great to see the barges go up and down the river at night when it's pitch black and they, you just see their marker lights, and sometimes they turn their searchlights on and scan the water. That was really yeah. cool. We actually brought the kids out of the bus and took them down to the water to see that because it's just not something they would have ever seen, nor is it something you see every day, unless you live maybe on the Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> so we spent maybe an evening in La Crosse, Wisconsin. We did spend a evening Which in La Crosse. We had a, we had some great pizza at a place called Big Al's and with viewed, some cheese curds and viewed the riverfront from there. <laughs> and a very delicious pineapple margarita. I just want to throw I've that in there. I never seen a par- pineapple margarita. It anymore. was so was good. good. It was so good. In La Crosse, they have the world's largest six pack. <laughs> Claim to fame. So you know you get to see giant beer cans if that's your cup of tea and we won't go into it but there's some controversy with this six pack and it might be worth just like looking it up and reading about the drama in the city of lacrosse with their giant six pack (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so we just did an evening there and then we continued north to the location we're at right now which is river falls wisconsin very close to the twin cities and this is kind of cool this is we haven't done this before this is a city park Yeah, this is a first for us. A lot of cities around the country, little small towns, often have a small campground that is operated by the cities to sort of get you to come in and and be a tourist in their town. Yeah. And sometimes they're even free. This one's 15 bucks uh, with electricity. And Wi-Fi. And Wi-Fi. And there are three, and yes, I'm saying the word three, playgrounds within... Big playgrounds. Big playgrounds. Like, we finally won the playground lottery where we can send the kids off to play and they're not, like, miles away. There's also their hometown baseball team is here. Minor league baseball team. The the stadium's right across from us. The games are free. Unfortunately, their season has ended. Their season has ended. But it looks like it would be a really cool experience. Yeah, but we are just, like, situated right inside a park. There's a volleyball court, the playgrounds, there's the baseball field, there's some walking trails. The bathrooms are just so-so, but when you consider everything else that's around you and how close we are to the Twin Cities, it's it really balances and itself that's the, out. That's the great thing. Is so we're we're about 40, 30, 40 minutes away yeah. from from the Twin Cities. Uh, we haven't gone to explore them yet. We're about to do that after we finish recording this podcast. Yes. <laughs> so we'll talk maybe more about that in a later episode. But this has kind of been like, I think once we hit the Twin Cities, this will kind of be our end of our time with the Great River Road for a while. We're going to depart off the road. We're not going to head up towards Itasca. We're going to head north to Lake Superior. Yes. Uh, Very excited. So there you have it. That's kind of like in a very large nutshell, the Great River Road. (laughs) So definitely check out some of the resources that we'll have in the show notes. I think they'll be interesting to anybody that might be uh, planning on taking a trip down the Great River Road. Yeah, and if you've done this, we would love to hear from you if there's a place on the along the road that you have stopped that you really think you would like to share with others, you know, leave a comment on, you know, the rvmiles.com slash episode eight show notes and just share that information. We would love to know what other places we should go because, you know, we went to Effigy Mounts because someone recommended it to us. And I don't know that we would have thought to stop and do that without getting that person to person recommendation. All right. On that note, you're time, looking at me. Time for <laughs> time to tease your brain. What do you got for us this week, hun? A man is trapped in a room with only two possible exits. It could be a woman, but 
men are more likely to get trapped in <laughs> things, I'm, I'm sure. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Continue, please. A man is trapped in a room with only two possible exits. Through the first door is a room with an enormous magnifying glass, causing the blazing hot sun to instantly burn anything that enters. Through the second door, there is a fire-breathing dragon. How does the man escape? Uh, through the second door and just doesn't wake up the dragon. The dragon is awake already. <laughs> well, it didn't say that. But so. I think you're on the right path. Oh! So I've given everyone a little, like, food for thought as they go away and think about this So this we'll week. have the answer to this brain teaser next week. Along with a brand new podcast. Along so with... <laughs> we hope to see you then. Yeah. And, you know, if you're enjoying what you guys are listening to, please, you know, like or subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And I think we're on Google Play as well. We're all over the place. We are everywhere. And we would love a review too, because that just kind of helps get us in front of more people. And we are so thankful for those of you already that have joined us. And so on that happy note... We will see you guys next week and keep logging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.